Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you. You know, last Sabbath is in Coshocton. How many know where Coshocton is? Okay, I've been two Sabbaths there. I'm kind of working with them now, and um, they're a small congregation of about 10 people. We have 14 now, and we've got a couple of people ready for Bible studies, I believe, and uh, they just had their first seminar on diabetes, of which they had eight people show up. That was last Monday. Uh, They'll be running it for five weeks in a row. And two of the people that were there, one was the former mayor of the town and his wife. Uh, you know, the Lord's going to bless them. And uh, it's, a, it's a congregation. It's been a really small congregation for a lot of years. But it's a really strong congregation of people's faith in the Lord. And they just want to grow. They want to serve the Lord. They want to reach out in the community, not just to run a seminar, but to follow up. You know, when God brings you people... We're to take care of them and follow up because God wants to make a disciple out of them, a Seventh-day Adventist disciple. And so I'm very thankful for that. It's a wonderful opportunity. Well, I appreciate the children's story. Um, appreciated the song. If the Lord says go, what are you going to say? I will. Yeah, I will. That's right. That's right. Very good. Well, uh, we're going to do part two of our sermon on the four atonements. We know there's more than one, because Christ made an atonement for us, right? And what day are we now living in? The day of atonement. But Christ has already died, so we know there's at least two. And so we covered the first two, but we're going to continue our study, because the Bible talks about four. And the word atonement is basically a word of us being back at oneness with God. Because that's what he wants, right? He wants your heart and his heart to be in agreement. That your thoughts are his thoughts, right? That he wants us to be reconciled back to him the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned. Is that possible? Absolutely. That's the good news. The good news is that we can be restored. Restored. In fact, we'll be more than restored, we'll be exalted. God's capital will be right here, and the earth made new. He will exalt this one rebellious world. We're not worthy, but we are loved. And God's plan is perfect. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity to worship you, because you are worthy of our worship. You are our creator, our maker, and we thank you, Father, for sending to us our Redeemer. We want to thank you, Father, for the perfect work of the Holy Spirit who knows how to lead each one of us perfectly. The angels are all wait to be sent here to help suffering humanity, all eight billion of us. Help us, Father, to always cooperate with these heavenly agencies that we may be part of your work, ambassadors here in a fallen world, to do good and not evil, to bring healing and not harm. So, Father, change our hearts, change our thoughts to being aligned with yours is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So remember, this whole thing that we're studying about the sanctuary, which is teaching how we're going to be reconciled with God, uh, is all about atonements being made one with God. Now, let's do a little bit of review. 
And so by one man, that's Adam, by one man, wherefore is by just one, that's all it took, one man, uh, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Why is there sin in our world? Because of what? One man's sin. And sin has passed upon everybody. And because all he could do is pass on a fallen nature, all of us wind up, we all wind up dying. That's the inheritance of the first Adam. But by one man, Jesus Christ. How many? Just one, friends. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Even so, by the righteousness of how many? Just one. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. We're all in a predicament because of one man. But we have hope. Not because of many men. There's just one. One man. And so when we look at the life of this one man, Jesus, the question I have to ask, how has his one sinless life changed my life? Am I more than forgiven? By his one life, this one life, can I be more than forgiven? I can be what? I can be cleansed. I can be changed. I can become a new person. Not because of many, but because of one. How important is this one man in your life? That's the question. He means everything to you. He is the life. And you'll get no life from anywhere else that's eternal. And this is why we're to spend a thoughtful hour every day contemplating that one eternal life that was manifested in our fallen flesh. And this is why the disciples kept watching Jesus and they couldn't take their eyes off of Jesus because they'd never seen life that's eternal. And every way Jesus looked at people, every way he treated people was a demonstration of what eternal life is all about. And when we don't behave like Jesus, that's not life, that's death. And we don't want that eternal death, we want life. And that comes through one person, one person. Sin has separated us from God. It says in the Bible, for your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Do you know that no human being has seen God's face for how long? 6,000 years. Adam and Eve saw God's face before they sinned, but once they sinned, nobody had ever seen God's face again. For 6,000 years. The purpose of the reconciliation is that what? We get to see God's face again. Isn't that beautiful? How close are we to that? Oh, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. So I can't give you a date. And it's better that I can't give you a date. I'm not even going to guess. Except to say it's imminent. It's soon. Okay? And what is sin? The Bible actually gives one definition. We can break that down into other smaller definitions, but ultimately sin is the transgression of the law. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin by definition is 
the transgression of those ten commandments. In one way or form or fashion, every one of us has broken at least one of these commandments. And if you're guilty of one, you're just guilty of breaking the whole law. But could I, could I ever be justified by the law? I mean, if I today could by myself start keeping the law perfectly, could I still be saved by keeping the law? And the reason is, is because I've already broken it, right? No amount of future obedience will earn me salvation. Eternal life is a, is a gift from God. It's not earned, but we receive it as a gift through one man, one man. And this says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Is this law important to us? Because by the law, we know what's right and wrong. Is that important to us? Why? Because we want to be reconciled with God. We want our heart and his heart to love the same things and to hate the same things. We want to see people just like Jesus does. And the law teaches me how to do that. And when I break the law, somehow I'm breaking down the fabric of society and relationships between people and my relationship with God. We don't keep the commandments to earn anything. We keep the commandments to know Him. That we can be like Him. Is that right? And why can't we be justified by the law? For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty, he's guilty of all. The problem with sin is it's caused separation between us and God, but the wages of sin is is death. So, all of us have sinned, so all of us are going to die. And if nobody steps in our place, the human race will become extinct. There'll be no more life. But if there's that one man steps in my place, I have hope. Is this right? Absolutely. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody had to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. We can die for our sins, but there'd be no, there'd be no life after that. It would be an eternal death. But if someone takes my place, if someone was willing to take my sins upon himself as if he committed them, I am now free from condemnation. Okay, let's look at a statement here. Steps of Christ, page 62. It was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. But he failed to do this, and because of his sin, our natures are fallen, and we cannot make ourselves righteous. Since we are sinful, unholy, we cannot perfectly obey the holy law. We have no righteousness of our own with which to meet the claims of the law of God. But Christ, that one man, has made a way of escape for us. He lived on earth amid trials and temptation such as we have to meet. He lived a sinless life. He did what? He died for us. And now offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character 
and you are accepted before God. Notice this. Just as if you had never sinned, not sinned. Now that, my friends, is mercy and grace and love. Gregory, do you have two pens? I didn't bring one up here. I see a marker. Can I borrow your... Can, no, you need to come up too. Now you're going to get off that easy. Okay, come on. This marker represents my sin. And you're playing the part of God. And this represents your righteousness. So, for me to be seen as if I'd never sinned, I'd have to give my sin to him. Please forgive me my sin. Go ahead. No, don't do the one. (laughs) We should have practiced this. Okay, let's do this again. (laughs) Please forgive my sin. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead and take it. Oh, what's wrong with this picture? I asked him to forgive me. What else do I have to do? I have to let go. I need to actually give him my sin. Does Jesus want to take them? Why? He loves me because that sin separated me. And Jesus came here to reconcile us back to God. And for this to work, I need to confess every sin and give the burden of that sin and believe that he's forgiven me. Let's do this one more time. Please forgive me of my sin. Is that the end of the gospel? May I have your righteousness. I got to get the other pen. No, no. Well, I understand. (laughs) Okay. May I have your righteousness. Now am I closer to him? Am I being reconciled? Yes, that's what the whole gospel's about. The gospel's not just about me giving him my sins. That's where it starts. But in exchange for my sin, I'm to receive his righteousness. So now I can live a new life. Thank you. You did a great job. When you come to Jesus and accept what he did for you, your name is written in the book of life. And when you confess those sins, the word pardon or forgiven is written beside it. I want you to turn to your Bible to Romans 4, 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. It says, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth or credits righteousness without what? Works. As soon as you come to Christ, do you have any good works to bring to him? No. No. And even if you did some nice things, it wouldn't earn you a mansion in heaven in a new body. You come to him just as you are, without works. You give your sins to him, and you're forgiven. And your name is written in the book of life. But he does something else. What's the text say? He imputeth righteousness. The word credit. So when your name's written in that book of heaven and forgiven by all those confessed sins, he does something else. He credits the life of Jesus to your account. As if you lived that life. Now remember, you haven't even done any works yet. So when I became a Christian at the age of 20, God not only forgave me of my sins, 
He forgave me. He wrote my name in the book of life. But he put something on my record. He credited his own 33 years of a sinless life to my account. Why does he do this? Because as soon as you ask for the forgiveness of sins, he'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why are you given the gift of the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit always associated with? Life. Creation. Right? So, the Holy Spirit we're given so that the life that's just been credited to us can now be lived in us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He leads us to accept Jesus, but His work just started. His work now is to do something in you which is to now work out the life of Christ in you. Not just to be a nice person. To be a holy person. To be a peculiar people. That God's been waiting for for a long time, friends. And when he has that number, he's going to come. He's waiting. He's waiting for us to give our whole life to him. To be reconciled to him. And he's able. And he's love. So, we are accounted as if we'd never sinned. And he takes our place. Look at this next statement. More than this, Christ changes the heart. He abides in your heart by faith. You're to maintain this connection. We have a part to play, right? You maintain this connection with Christ by faith and the continual surrender of your will to him. And so long as you do this, he will do what? He's going to work in you. He did something for you. He died for you. But now he needs to work in you. And as long as you keep that connection going, he'll do something in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So you may say, the life which I now live, not the old life, but the life I now live in this fallen flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who who loved me and he gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Then Christ working in you, you will manifest the what? The same spirit. And do the same what? Good works, works of righteousness and obedience. See, this is, this is the good news, friends. It's not that he forgave me and then I keep living the old life. He's forgiven me so I can live a new life and have joy and peace for the first time in my life. I still have trials, but I experience them differently. I can have peace in the midst of a storm. Is this right? Absolutely. So we had gone into the sanctuary a couple Sabbaths ago, and we were talking about this sanctuary and how it talked about these four atonements. How do we get right back with God? How do we become reconciled with God? And I want us to notice in Exodus 25, 8, notice what it says here. And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell. If you're dwelling with God, are you reconciled with God? Absolutely, friends. Reconcile. This is what this whole sanctuary is about. This sanctuary study is not for us to get right answers at Sabbath school. This sanctuary is teaching you how you can have God dwell in your heart now, preparatory to seeing him face to face. And then he'll always dwell with you. His face then would never be hidden. You'll always be able to see him. Okay? 
This is why we're going to study the sanctuary. And as we looked at, the, the sanctuary or the message starts right here. Jesus is represented by this lamb. You're confessing your sins on the lamb, represented by Jesus. And then the life of the lamb is taken. And that life, that lamb, is, will then burned on the altar. Do you know what Jesus was willing to become for us? Ashes. He was willing to give up his life. He did give up his life. Even if he'd never awake. But then if he doesn't awake, our faith is in vain. But you know, he was still willing to pay that kind of price. He became ashes for us. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Then there's this holy place. There's two apartments in here. There's the holy place and then the most holy place in the back. This represents the ministry of Jesus in heaven. There's a heavenly sanctuary. And this represents his ministry on earth where he died. Okay? This is how this sanctuary is going to end. I am make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among you. Notice what happens at the end of the Bible. And they shall see... How far are we away from that? We don't know, but we're close. And his name shall be written in your foreheads. And it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. This earth will be made new. God's capital will be right here. God himself will dwell here, and so will we. The Bible talks about how the saints will have even the name of the city of his God. And as you go through the universe, people will say, look at them, those ones. They're from the New Jerusalem. They're from the Holy City. They live with God. They were the one rebellious world, and they're the ones that now live with God. God dwells with them. I'm telling you, friends, we don't deserve it. That we've been exalted to dwell with God and to be able to see Him face to face. Well, in the meantime... When you go to this sanctuary, there's, you see this uh, veil? It's 30 feet wide. If our church had a 30-foot wide door, what are we saying? Come on in. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't how many times you've done it. You are accepted in Christ. Is this right? Now, what's interesting about this door or this veil is Jesus says what? I'm the door. I'm the way. And... Hebrews tells us that by new and living way, which he's consecrated us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. This, you remember, is the ministry of Jesus on planet Earth. If Jesus doesn't come here, there's no way back to the Father. You see that? If Jesus doesn't... Jesus Was Jesus here before he put on human flesh? Yeah, I mean, he spoke to Abraham, he stopped... He talked to Moses. But until he puts on flesh, Jesus couldn't just visit our world and the plan of reconciliation be made. He actually had to become one of us. Amen. Be tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, and then die in our place. And now the law is satisfied. You couldn't have a sacrifice that had a blemish. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. So he lived a life for us. 
Not a life just to give up, but a life that shows us how we can live when we're born of the Spirit like he is or was, right? That if a Jesus doesn't become the door, there's no rest of this. And so here in the altar in this, um, this is the altar here. And that's being what's represented here. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for accept, how it was accepted in Christ, means turn to ashes. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew before he left heaven that for us to be reconciled to the Father, something would have to happen to him. He'd have to die. Isn't that right? And that was a price he was willing to pay. Jesus would say, no greater love hath he than this, that he should lay down his life. That saying, self-sacrificing love needs to be in our hearts. Because in the end of time, you're going to be faced with a choice. The world will have a Sunday law. But if people worship and take the mark of the beast, they're, they're lost. And you're willing to tell the truth and be willing to lay down your life because it might be the means that helping someone else find the truth as it is in Jesus so they can take the seal of God. That's not something to be afraid of. It's a privilege. That your life could be the seed of others living in heaven forever. You know how big our universe is? As soon as you say it, you're already wrong. Because our universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. Isn't that amazing? And God holds it all together. So if you could travel at the speed of life to the end of the universe, you'll never see it. You'll never see it. And imagine the one who made the universe holds it together. Became a babe in Bethlehem. Grew up and was willing to die for us. We're so small in the universe. He's seen some of these pictures where we have satellites that are just on the outskirts of our solar system, and there's just this little blue dot. That's us. And the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. And he says, I don't want to lose even one sheep, not even one world. That's the God of love, isn't it? Well, the holy place, we were kind of finishing up last Sabbath with the holy place. So this represents Jesus' ministry on earth, where you saw the sacrifices of that open area with the, the linen wall around it. Or, and uh, so Christ is represented as dying here. But then when he dies, he's resurrected and he sends up to heaven in this heavenly sanctuary. It says, we have such a high priest who's set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So we know that Jesus didn't just ascend to heaven. He didn't, he's not just at the right hand of the Father. He's actually in the sanctuary in heaven, ministering for us. And the purpose for ministering to us is to draw us even closer to God. So here, whoops. Are you reconciled to God right here? Didn't that begin right here? Jesus did something for you, and you accepted it. But God's presence was here in the most holy place, and he's saying, come. Let's get a little closer. 
right? I know you just accepted what my son did for you. But what I'm doing in heaven right now is something I got to do in you. And if you allow me to do what I need to do in you, you can see the Father face to face. Isn't this what it's all about? Jesus isn't just keeping himself busy up there. Jesus is doing a work that he wants to do correspondingly in here. And these pieces of furniture here tell us how that happens. We see that there's this candelabra, the seven-branch candlestick, the showbread, and the altar of incense. So let's look at those. The seven-branch candlestick that you saw has a central pillar and then three branches on either side, six branches. This candelabra is made out of just one talent of gold. So how many talents do you need to shine for Jesus? Just one, but we do need to use it. And if you use it, you're going to get, you'll get more. But if you don't use it, you're just going to lose it. As if you never had it. Now your gift, your passion could be teaching, could be helps, could be doing things around the church that others aren't willing to do, could be mercy. You see someone sitting in this church and nobody else is sitting by them and they're suffering and you say, I can't stand this. I've got to sit next to them. There are different ministries that make up the body of Christ. The gift of faith, and you're at a church business meeting and we say, hey, we've got to build a school. And most of the board say, yeah, but we don't have enough money. But the gift of faith says, it doesn't matter how much money we have. What did God ask you to do? Right? It, it doesn't matter what your resources are. It only matters if God asks you to do it. Because if he asks you to do it, he'll supply everything you need, not up front, but as you use what he's already given you. And the reason he does this is so that you'll grow in faith. I remember working for a lot of different ministries, and the person says, well, why doesn't God just give everybody a million dollars? Because we'd put more trust in what? In the money than in God leading us. We just need to say, Father, what's your will? What are you asking me to do? Moses says, well, who am I? I'm going to go into Egypt with a staff? I'm with you. That's all you need. If you're willing to take what you need, and he used them, and he brought out 8 million people, from the superpower of the ancient world, and not one Hebrew dies. Who empowers your talent? God does. Whatever that talent is, you can do a great work. And a great work isn't numbers. It's the faithfulness in which you do that work. Right? This candelabra had that central pillar and six branches. But here's the thing. The reason it has a central pillar is because... Who's represented by the central pillar? Christ himself. That tells me that I can't be a light bearer by myself. That if I want to do, allow God to do that work in me, to draw me closer to him, I've got to receive the Holy Spirit, the oil, and be connected to Christ. There's two things. Every day, I got to be make sure I'm connected. I continue. Remember that statement? You make sure you remain connected to Christ. 
And then ask him to fill you with, because you're willing to shine for him that day. That if you don't take the time to be connected, and you have no interest in sharing what God's done for you, why be filled with oil? Is that a fair statement? That when you wake up in the morning and you take the time, and the first thing you do is you consecrate yourself to him because he consecrated himself for you. And use me today, Father, in your service. Bring somebody in my life today. That doesn't mean you have to preach a sermon to them. Are you shining for him when you do a kindness? When you treat people right? And you begin in the home? And then you go further out? Your home's your Jerusalem. Just start shining. Right? He's the source of that happiness and joy and love, isn't he? Because you're connected to him. That's why you can do this. By him. And we receive light and power from the Holy Spirit as we're willing to impart it. And this is why he'd say, don't hide your light under a, a bushel. That's not this purpose. Your purpose of being a son and daughter of God is, is to shine. And as you draw closer to Christ, you're going to get brighter and brighter and brighter, knowing more what to say, how to say it in the right way at the right time. Because we don't know that when we're born. We have to learn to take care of people. We don't have that knowledge as a two-year-old. That we can learn it. We can receive this knowledge. Then, of course, in this holy place, let's allow letting Christ do that work in you. The next thing we'll talk about the table of showbread right here. Twelve loaves. Twelve loaves of equal weight and size. Those twelve loaves represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And from God's viewpoint, did he love each one of them equally? Yes, they're all the same size and same weight. Does he look at us that way? Everybody in the world? Christ died for all. Is he knocking at the door of everybody's heart? Absolutely. What else is interesting about this? So let me just go back to that. In our fallen world, do people love everybody equally? Oh, this is terrible. We're, we're living in terrible times. And why is it? Why is there racism and ageism and all the other isms? People don't know Jesus. They're not eating Jesus' life. Isn't that right? They're not eating the bread of life. Because if they were eating Jesus' life, they would realize that he met with the Samaritan woman the centurion, and say, "There's no. I've not seen even such great faith, not even in Israel. He broke down all the social prejudice. And if you know, when people don't act right around other people, you know why, don't you? They just don't know Jesus enough. That's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? There's something in their history, you know, where 60% um, hereditary and environment. But 40% of who you are are choices you made in life. And it doesn't matter your hereditary or your environment. You can make the right choice. You can choose to be different. You can choose to be like Jesus. The finest wheat, the, the rabbis say, went through 11 seeds, which means there was no husk. There was nothing in this bread of life. And Jesus, there is no leaven. There's, no, there's nothing foreign. 
in that sense. It's pure. So when you eat a pure life, is something happening inside of you? If you eat junk food, is something happening in you? <laughs> but if you eat the bread of life, is something happening in you? Absolutely. This is calling Christ to do something in us. Okay? Olive oil was added to this bread. Because when you want to eat Jesus as the bread of life, what are you going to get? The Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, friends, if we have no interest to be like Jesus, why be empowered? Is that a fair question? I want to share you a statement from Desire of Ages 805. The impartation of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. We have people who are praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, but they're not making a choice to be like Jesus. Is there a problem with that? See, you could be praying for the Holy Spirit, but if you don't have a desire to be like Jesus, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to wind up with a different spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. This is his ministry. This is his purpose for us. Salt was added. Why did they have salt back then? To preserve something. So when you eat the bread of life, Jesus, bread of life, who's Jesus Christ, you're helping to preserve the world from getting worse. Right? You're helping the world to still have hope. But if everybody hides their light under a bushel as a member, and you're not doing that, I know that. But I know that as a denomination, we're still here. We should have gone home before this. Because we haven't drawn close enough to that that one man. If we just were closer to Jesus, if we are just eating the bread of life and willing to shine, as a people, we'd have already gone home. So what's he waiting for? Come closer. Find time for me. I mean, if you don't want to spend time with me here, you're not going to want to be with me in heaven. Couldn't Jesus say that? It'd be a true statement. But I know you want heaven when you want Jesus as me. If you want me, you'll have eternal life. Right? There was no leaven, so when you eat the life of Jesus, there's no sin in it. It leads you away from sin. That's what leaven represents. You know, during the Passover time, the parents, the Jewish parents, would put little bits of leaven around the house just before Passover. And they'd say, okay, children, go get all the leaven out of the house. What were they teaching their children? We don't want anything in our home environment that would lead someone further from Christ. We only want to have those things in our home that draws each one of us closer to Christ. So let's get out all the leaven. Right? The books we don't need, the television programs we shouldn't be watching. You see what I'm saying? Because that leavening effect can diminish our love for Christ, which could be a stumbling block to be reconciled to God. Your job and my job is not to put obstacles in the way, but to cooperate with him in getting them out of the way so that we can get to know him better. It was placed in an oven. That bread's placed in an oven, which would mean that you and I, in eating the bread of life and becoming more like Jesus, we realize that we're going to face what? Tribulation. We're going to face trials. But you're not afraid to eat Jesus' life, to avoid trials. You just accept that they'll come. 
but you'll get through them different. You won't become bitter. You'll become better. Each trial will help you be better. You're more understanding. You're more forgiving. Right? And lastly here, pierced bread. The word kala, which is a word for cake in this pierced bread, means it was kind of perforated. So when I eat the life of Jesus, I've got to be willing to be pierced bread myself. I've got to be willing to lay down my life if that's what it takes. Okay? And then there's this altar of incense. Oops. The incense represents the merits of Christ with the prayers of the saints. As the priest had the incense rising up over the veil into the most holy place, the people out in the camp, the encampment, were praying. And so our prayers need to be mingled with the merits of Jesus. I have no merits of my own. I can pray to God. If I pray to God without the merits of Jesus, my prayers won't get past this ceiling. To get to the throne room of God, my prayers need to be mingled with the merits of Jesus. Father, I'm praying to you because of what Jesus did for me. Based upon his merits, I offer this prayer. In his name, you see. Now my prayers can ascend to heaven, mingled with the incense of Jesus' life. This prayer altar is the closest to the most holy place. And that's what draws us closer and closer to Christ. Witnessing draws us closer. Eating the bread draws us closer. But the closest is prayer and communion with Christ. Finding a time and a place just for you and God to commune together. I'm not talking about the blessing on your meal. I'm not talking lay me down to sleep prayers. I'm talking about the kind of prayers where you contemplate how great God is. And you almost feel like singing hallelujah. And you're still, not new age and emptying your mind, but your mind's filled with how good God is. It's not a wish list of temporary, temporary benefits. It's time to let God know that you love him, you appreciate his love for you and all that he's done, every gift. Men ought to always pray, pray for all things. How many here created air? Air. You have anything to do with that? I'm thankful to God that I'm breathing 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and another percent of a bunch of other gases. But he did that. I didn't put two hydrogen molecules together with an oxygen and whip it around and create water. He did that. Why'd he do that? For us. Do you realize that everything you have that allows you to breathe is a gift from God? 
And you know when you plant the seeds in your garden, it's going to grow because God uses the laws of nature to make it grow. We're nothing without God. So when you're in that moment in communion time with God, don't take for granted that you're breathing at that time. Don't take for granted anything that keeps you going. It's all a gift from God. Every time we should give thanks, and not just a wish list. That doesn't mean you can't ask for things. We should, and express our need, and pray for people. And we'll talk a little bit more about prayer another time, maybe, maybe next time, because I've just ran out of time, I think. And we'll talk about the most holy place in prayer next time, okay? Is that a bargain? Because we do need to take time. But you know how God made us? Part of the way he created us, our very being, the way our brain works and everything, was to be men and women of prayer. In the human frame, God put in there a longing for God. Isn't this true? He didn't just make a creature. He made us a certain way, which is why we should study our humanity. We study it because we need to know how to relate to God. And the more I know about myself and how God made me, the better I'm going to know how to commune with Him and what I really should be asking for. But that communication is something that God put in us And when Adam and Eve were living an obedient life, they'd walked with God in the cool of the day. But what led them to hide from him? Sin. I'm telling you, friends, this is a real battle. And the one man that can help you overcome sin that will allow you to draw closer to him is Jesus. It's what he's already done for you and what he's currently doing for you. So next time I'm here in a couple Sabbaths, We'll continue on prayer, and then we'll move into the most holy place because God's not done with doing things in us to become one with him. Before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn is Redeemed, and I believe that's number 337. Yep, it's number 337. If we could all stand. <laughs>